Welcome back to Mastering Ourselves with Keith and Charmé Amber, your spiritual lifestyle experts, offering a place to find sound answers to life's tough questions. Don't forget to catch us Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern on CRN, and Saturday, today, is a two-hour show. That's even more fun. And also be sure to check us out at MasteringOurselves.com. There's a spiritual quiz there that you can check out, sign up for daily insights, the book will be up there soon in healings. Our guest today, Gary E. Nelson, has written a book called A Relentless Hope, Surviving the Storm of Teen Depression, where he and his wife, Patty, worked like mothers to get their son, Tom, through this horrible, horrible maze. Years ago, I hitched a ride with this uh, juvenile girl school counselor. And he said one thing that always stayed with me. He said, you got to always give them a way out. You just can't paint them into the corner like they're totally bad and there's nothing more to it. You always have to give them a way out. What do you think about that, Gary? Amen. That, to, For me, that speaks to another uh, insight that, that Patty and I stumbled on. Um, I, I'm a problem solver. And, and, and like a lot of men, I, I you know, just... Give me the problem and let me chew on it and I'll figure it out. But this was another lesson in I can't fix it, I can't solve it, I'm going to have to find some other way. And um, the way out, so to speak, from from what you're talking about, was when I I stumbled on the idea of saying to Tom, what's your plan? And that became another very, very important factor for us as we would go through. Mm-hmm. Um, the the first occurrence of that in a major way was um, as Tom was in high school, starting high school, uh, that's when we went to the lowest of the lows. And he would spend many days alone in a dark room, uh, wouldn't come out for anyone, his friends. Uh, we sometimes could get him out to try to do something just to keep him moving, but it was very difficult because school was just becoming more and more uh, of a pressure and a wall that he was facing. And finally... Like on top of a pressure already that was, wasn't going away. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It becomes incredibly overwhelming. That's one of the factors of depression for teens and adults. We all take it, we take for granted the ability that we normally have to take a big problem and break it into small pieces. And with depression and anxiety, it's, that's one of the first things that go, so that when, when a teen or an adult facing this starts to, to look at something, it just looks so big and huge that they say, oh, my goodness, I'll never be able to do that. Why bother? And so they do nothing. And so then they fall deeper and deeper into the hole, and that's what was happening for Tom. And so the more I'd, I would wrestle with it and say, what do we do, what do we do, what do we do? Finally, I said, okay, Tom, what's your plan for school? What was his plan? One of the most courageous things I've ever heard a child do. This was a child that finished middle school, the eighth grade, as a member of the National Junior Honor Society, okay? He looked at me and said, Dad, he was in ninth grade at this time. He looked at me and said, Dad, I want to go back to the eighth grade and see if I can get a running start and try high school in ninth grade again next year. Now, I remember wow. what... <laughs> wow is right. That's it, character. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. I mean, I, because I remember what it was like going to school and, and seeing children that were held back and how painful that was and, 
and to think that he was going to do that, I I just couldn't fathom. So we we talked to the schools and the principals, and they were like stunned. They had never heard of this before. Wow! But he had been such a good student, and none of them knew him because he would he had never been in any trouble. So he'd never been in their offices for trouble. Um, they said, sure, why not? So we tried it, and it did work for a while. It it did um, take some of the pressure off, and he went back to eighth grade, and and just you know just kind of got back moving again and going going through the the routine and things, and and it helped, but it still um, didn't work the next year in terms of getting him to be able to to stay in the ninth grade and, and work through that way. So right. But the idea of your 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 issue was a way out, and. And what that kicks for me is the notion of, of, of challenging the teen with what's your plan. Right. And that's critical. Get them thinking. You're listening, exactly. you're listening to Mastering Ourselves with Keith and Charmaine Amber, your spiritual lifestyle experts. We offer a place to find sound answers to life's tough questions. Our guest today is Gary E. Nelson. Gary and his wife Patty worked very, very hard with their child, Tom, to get him through teen depression. The book is called A Relentless Hope. And don't forget to catch us Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturdays, 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern on CRN. So I know of this story of this guy, and he had uh, spinal meningitis when he was seven months old. Wow. And um, we did a regression on him, and, and what it was was he was actually, uh, in former lifetimes, he and his, what it was this lifetime, his mother, they were married. In this lifetime, his father and mother were married, and he couldn't have her. So he wanted to die. He wanted to self-reject, and uh, it didn't work. But that's what that was all about, and it, it, it relieved him and helped him deal with later issues to, to realize that. Okay. These are the sort of things that can also be underneath depression. Always with something like depression or anything, there's underlying soul level lessons that are driving the depression. Something that we need to learn that we're having a hard time doing and it just gets so big and so overwhelming, depression comes in. So, uh, Gary, I don't know if you quite go along with my belief system, but you know, uh, I'm going to tell you what I got when I tuned in to Tom, your son, and, and mm-hmm. why he went through what he went through. Okay. Okay? Okay. So I'm there, and I'm experiencing a, a past life where he was thoroughly in love with and attached to his mate. And this lifetime, he couldn't fully have that person and possess that person. Some would call a soulmate from before. And uh, he... He wouldn't face and release it and let go, so he went deep into depression, which is an indication of how much he was in love with that person and um, uh, you know, couldn't bear to let go. So that's a deep, deep, deep love. But as I understand it, as we evolve out of God, one of the levels we have to go out before it's like a rubber band, we go back into God, is we have to split and it's like we we were uh, like male and female, and then we have to become whole as a individual unit without the other half kind of thing. And so a lot of times on some of us, it's extremely hard to let go of that other half that we're just, you know, they mean everything to us. But as we go out one further level, um, it's 
um, it's more of a challenge to be whole without that crutch and without that special person. So that's the challenge. And once you do that and get, get okay with it, then you start going back into the Godhead. That's how I understand it. Okay. Okay. It, it's, a, it's a little different from my understanding, but you're using words that are meaningful for me. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly soulmate. And uh, uh, that uh, I, I work with lots of folks around relationships in my line of work as a pastor and pastoral counselor. And, yep. and Patty and I oftentimes will talk about the fact that we feel privileged that we have feel like we have found our soulmates in one another. Sure. And um, um, the the other thing that I I did talk about in the book was that um, I think a, a major part of the healing for Tom was um, his meeting his now wife, and I think they began a bond as soulmates and continue in that. Yep. You know, I don't think that would have been able to happen or work had he not been able to let go whoever this other person was, which is what he worked through when he was going through his depression, because that opened the door to his current wife. Okay. <laughs> All I can do is All say, right. okay, and that sounds like a conversation for Tom. Because, Ten four. Uh, there, are, there are aspects of his story that uh, he certainly has shared, and um, some that uh, it was interesting because when when I talked about finally writing the book, and 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 we were in some ways going to try to write it as a dialogue, and that just didn't work, and. When he read the manuscript, he said, "Yeah, this is this is good. This is accurate." He said, "Maybe I'll just have to write my own sometime." Yeah. Um, but we also found he forgot a lot. Um, yeah. There, there's a lot of what's written in the book that, as he read it, um, it uh, it it was painful for him to remember some, and and for myself as well. But but we did we did find that 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 there were. Um, you remarked before about about my asking him what could Patty and I have done differently, and he said we could have pushed more. Um, he forgot <laughs> how hard we pushed. Yes. And and so uh, there's a lot of the journey that that uh, uh, he'd have to speak about for himself. I think. Absolutely. Yeah. You're listening to Mastering Ourselves with Keith and Charmé Amber, your spiritual lifestyle experts, offering a place to find sound answers to life's tough questions. Uh, we're talking today with Gary E. Nelson, who's written a book, A Relentless Hope, Surviving the Storm of Teen Depression. You know, I noticed there was one time that you met with um, a family, a parents and a daughter, I believe it was, and they had this strategy that every time she wouldn't like uh, do what they wanted her to do, like go to school, I mean there were things mm-hmm. she should be doing, that they would take something away and it ended up that she didn't have anything left but a pair of pants and a top. Yeah. And, and you know, I like you, I'm thinking, gosh, it isn't working. <laughs> and, you know, maybe about 30 items ago we would have caught on. Right. I, you know, I wanted to bring that up because I think we get pig-headed, like, well, we have a strategy, and by God, it's going to work. But, you know, I think <laughs> you have to be, you have to roll with the punches and keep being creative. Well, two things. Yes, I mean, I, I had to laugh later when I stumbled on the Einstein's definition of insanity, which was 
you know, doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result the next time. You know, and, and that, you know that, that those parents came to mind, and then I myself came to mind. You know, every morning when I would come down yes. and go through the same anger ritual, and then you know, expecting that it's going to have a different response that way. The, the other part to it is, yeah, creativity, or um, as I learned to call it, it's it's like parenting by um, uh, creative experimentation. I mean, I, I have a science background, too. My undergraduate degree is in biology, so I have a, a, a deep appreciation for the scientific method and, and as well. And parenting, I found, is very much like that. that it's not a prescription. It's not a it's no one book or anybody's book that you can read and follow like a recipe. It's like you try something, you observe the results, and you use the data or results to set up the next experiment. Because as a parent, oftentimes, you know, you try, with any child, I mean, you try something this week and you say, oh, wow, that worked, that's great. And the next week, you do the very same thing, thinking, oh, okay, this is great, it's going to work. No way. <laughs> and and what parents will often do is, again, they just want to just keep doing something for the sake of saying, see, I did it, I did it, I did it, when in reality, it, it, it had the same hurtful response or result again, and it, then it begins to destroy the relationship. Right. We have to keep being creative problem solvers, not Absolutely. get stuck in a position of something you know, we don't have a whole ton of time here, and there there was something else I wanted to cover. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you really believe, and I suspect you're a lot accurate on this, that underlying um, dep- underlying the use of self-mutilation, uh, marijuana, cigarettes, and alcohol is actually teen depression. Yes, teen de- Well, and, and and let me just clarify for your listeners because I did I said this in the book too. I use the word depression. Um, Tom's situation was like many other teens. It's really a combination of depression and anxiety. For for some, the depression symptoms are higher. For others, it's the anxiety symptoms. But when I use the word depression in the book, I really mean depression, anxiety, maybe bipolar disorder, in other words, related kinds of illnesses. And so, yes, I am convinced, and certainly my experience in the field has borne out that um, many, many of these things that you've mentioned, eating disorders, self-mutilation, alcohol and substance abuse, um, addictions to sex, to pornography, to the Internet, even addictions to video games. And I'm not saying all video games are bad. I'm talking about addictions to video games. That underlying those are oftentimes um, these kinds of mental health issues, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And these uh, activities or behaviors um, are forms of self-soothing that uh, people will look look for. And do you think there's a lot of parents that aren't paying attention close enough and they're missing the signs? Oh, my goodness gracious, yes. That, yeah. That's uh, one of the reasons, again, for the book. The book is not, and my trying to get the word out there, it's, it's not just to say to folks who have teens who are depressed. It's, it's to say, to look to other parents and say, hey, you know, I mean, because a lot of teens, if not, I have to say, most of the teens that would that would come to my office or get dragged to my office, hmm. uh, and most other counselors' offices, that they're not, they don't walk in the door with someone saying, "Oh, they're depressed." 
they usually walk in the door because they're in some kind of trouble. Right, right, they right. They get off the Internet. The, they're having some other kind of behavior problems. Drugs, here, alcohol, whatever. Exactly, exactly. And so then it's as we begin to peel off those layers that very, very frequently then. And, and the same with adults. I mean, I can ask someone, you know, if there's a family history of depression, and they'll say no. And then I'll say, is there a family history of alcoholism? And they'll say, oh, well, you know, Aunt George, I mean, Aunt Jane and Uncle George and, you know, my grandmother. And and, and so you quickly start to see that um, that adults and teens use these to self-medicate. And okay. Yep. Dangerous. Break time. You're listening to Mastering Ourselves with Keith and Sharma Amber. Thank you very much for being with us tonight. Our guest is Gary E. Nelson, who's written the book, A Relentless Hope, Surviving the Storm of Teen Depression, of which we have a little bit more after the break. Stay with us. We'll be right back.